Uh, good morning. <laughs> Happy Sabbath. Uh, that was a really powerful special. I was out there, but I could hear it. And uh, I was like, man, I'm missing out because I like to pace around before I speak because I get nervous. <laughs> but <laughs> I was listening. I was like, man, that sounds like a really powerful special music. I was blessed even standing out there and uh, powerful. Um, it is a privilege to be here today and to share the word of God. I love sharing the Bible and giving Bible studies. And uh, today I want to share a message about prayer, uh, perseverance, and overcoming uh, negative thoughts. I've shared this message before at other churches. I don't think I've ever shared it here at Avent Hope, uh, but with some recent events, I decided to put some edits into it and uh, share it this morning. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, I have my notes and my slides, but I might add some more stuff. I tend to go into tangents if I get too excited, so I'll try. I see the, the countdown. I have two hours. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I usually I cut the sermon short, but I don't know. I might maximize my time. We'll see. But let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into it. Loving Father, we thank you so much for this privilege to study your word together and to worship you. I pray that Christ would be glorified and lifted up as we study what it means to commune with God and to pray and persevere in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you're going to be seeing some familiar texts uh, and passages, uh, but these are some texts and passages that are really important to me. And so I want to talk about communion with God, talking to God, which is also known as prayer. And this is a quote that is very popular from Steps of Christ. Uh, you might have read it before. And it says that prayer is what? Opening of the heart to God as to who? Like to a friend, right? Not that it's necessary in order to make known to God what we are, but in order to enable us to do what? Receive him. Prayer does not bring God down to us, but it does what? It brings us up to him. The Notice the first part. It says prayer is the opening of the heart to God like a friend. We're going to get more into that, but uh, we'll get more into that. Let's look at the next slide here. And that says that Enoch walked with God. Who was Enoch? <laughs> I'm going to ask you guys a question that you guys probably have heard a thousand times, so you probably already know the answer. But whenever I go to like a new church, I, it's like a fun trivia question. Everybody gets it wrong, and it's kind of fun, but you probably get it all right. Who was the oldest man to live? <laughs> i'm here like methuselah enoch <laughs> the oldest man to die was methuselah who lived to be 969 years old and the oldest man to live while well, enoch never died the bible says that he walked with god and uh he was taken right so he never died and so that's a trick question uh you guys will probably hear it a thousand more times in the future but um yes he walked with god and the question is what does it mean to walk with god and uh, I think he was in his 60s, I think 65 or so, when he had a son. Is that correct? Correct me if I'm wrong. And then he walked with God for 300 years. Something happened to Enoch when he had a child that caused them or led him to walk with God. You might have heard that, that verse that says, pray without seizing. One time I posted this on my Facebook somewhere, and I, I typed it out as seizing, like seizure. <laughs> and yes, you want to pray without seizures too, amen? But uh, you pray without stopping, always praying. Anyway, we'll come back to this. We'll come back to this. We're laying a foundation. But if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at some passages here in the book of Daniel. And we are told in these last days that we should be studying two particular books. What are those books? Daniel and Revelation. In order to understand Revelation, you have to uh, have an understanding of the book of Daniel because there's so much uh, symbolism 
uh, in the book of Daniel that you can find in also in the book of Revelation. But just, you know, I like teaching Sabbath school because I like the interaction that takes the pressure off. But uh, <laughs> what, what is Daniel known for? What, what do we know, Daniel? What, what do we know about Daniel? Man of faith, what else? Prophecy, purity, lion's den, and prophecy, prayer. And, you know, we hear all these things. He purposed in his heart that he will not defile himself with the king's meat. Uh, ten times wiser than all the wise men. He ate vegetables and all those things. And, um, but also we know that Daniel, oh, thank you, was also a man of prayer. Now, some of these uh, pictures might be pixelated, but um, he was a man of prayer. And how do we know that he was a man of prayer? Yeah, yeah he got in trouble for it, right? <laughs> So we all know the story. We're just going to go through it real quick. You know, uh, Daniel was 10 times wiser than all the other wise men. And because of his wisdom um, that God gave him, uh, he found favor with the king. And he was pretty much the highest in command, second to the king, right? And what happens when you get promoted is not everybody will celebrate you, right? Not everybody will celebrate. You know, I heard it put this way. The best way to overcome jealousy and being envious of others is to celebrate them. Be happy for other people's success. Well, not everybody was happy with Daniel's success. Uh, some people were very jealous. And so they, they, they tried to trick the king and say, hey, king, um, do you like power? Oh, yeah, I like power. What if for the next, what is it, like 30 days or so, we made a law that says you can't pray to no other person or God except to you. And if they do, they get thrown into a lion's den. And the king thought that was a good idea. And they put it into law. But they're really trying to trap Daniel because Daniel had no fault, the Bible says. He was a good guy. You know, the Bible says, as much as possible, live at peace with God and with man. In other words, be not only good Christians, but also good citizens. Daniel was a good citizen. He kept all the laws and they couldn't find any fault except had it to do with his God. And so they try to trick the king and we know the story. There is a law that you cannot pray but Daniel still prayed. <laughs> and he didn't pray in secret. He wasn't afraid or ashamed that people knew that he prayed. You know, working at Loma Linda University Medical Center, a lot of us probably work here or go to school here. Uh, it is our privilege, actually, to pray. Uh, it is our privilege, and we are encouraged to pray with our patients. And if you don't want to pray with the patient, you just uh, ask the chaplain to pray with your patients. Um, but um, even, even as nurses, uh, we, have to, uh, we have to go around and with your huddle. And oftentimes I'm the designated prayer person because they see me as the pastor of the units and they're always asking me to pray. Uh, and so it's nice that we're encouraged to pray uh, here at Loma Linda. You may not always have the privilege at other hospitals. I don't know. But what if your job was threatened if they caught you praying? <laughs> what would you do? Daniel was a praying man and he didn't care if it meant that it would cost his life. He prayed in the open. Now, Jesus says that when you pray, how should you pray? Pray in secret, and your father, when he sees it in secret, will reward you. Uh, but the context of that is not to be a show-off, right? So I don't know about you guys, uh, but uh, <laughs> one of my struggles when you go to Bible study or prayer meeting is uh, when they do popcorn prayer, or when you have to go in a circle, and they're like, okay, we're going to read this passage. And uh, I'm just counting, like, okay, we're going in, we're going in, in order. And I'm just nervous the whole time. So I'm like, oh, my passage is coming up. I got to read it. I got to read it. I'm not even focused 
because I'm thinking about my passage. And finally, when it's your turn to read, you just you just try to read as eloquent as you can. And if you so you try to sound nice. Or when you pray, sometimes the temptation when you pray is when it's your turn to pray, you're like, oh, I'm so nervous. It's my turn to pray. And you want to pray very nice prayer, right? Very, very poetic. Well, Jesus says that when you pray, you don't have to be like the Pharisees in public. What their intention is to show off, but to pray in secret. Daniel was not praying to show off, though. He was taking a stand by getting on his knees to show that he is not ashamed of his God. Amen? He's not ashamed. And he's not ashamed even if it meant that he might lose his life. But, you know, there is another time that Daniel did pray. And I want to focus on this. It's not on my PowerPoint, so you have to go with me in your Bibles. Go with me to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. And we're going to learn something about Daniel. Daniel was not just a praying man. Daniel was also a fasting man. <laughs> Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have ever fasted before? And how long did you go? And were you able, how did it feel? <laughs> If you haven't fasted before or if it's been a while, let me just say it's not always the easiest thing to do. Food that you don't find appealing normally becomes appealing. <laughs> now, Daniel fasted for how long? Well, let's find out. Let's find out. Daniel chapter 10, verse. Start, let's start in verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for how long? Three full weeks or 21 days. You know, Jesus fasted for 40 days. Even three weeks sounds a lot, but this was just a little more than half of what Jesus did. Just 21 days. 21 days he was mourning. Verse 3, I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came to my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So Daniel fasted and prayed for three full weeks. The question is, what do we pray and fast for? Sometimes we pray and fast for material things. Sometimes we pray and fast for things that we actually need, pray and fast for people's health, uh, pray and fast for a job position, praying and fasting because you're in the border of passing a class or failing, like, Lord, have mercy, right? And you're just praying and fasting. But Daniel was praying and fasting so that he could understand prophecy better. When's the last time that we prayed and fasted so that we could understand the book of Daniel better? But Daniel was praying and fasting for three weeks. And the question is, what was going through Daniel's mind when he was praying and fasting for three weeks? What goes through your mind when you're praying and fasting for an extended period of time and there seems to be no answer? Do you get discouraged? And do you question if God even cares about you? You know, in the Bible, we have seen several examples where people felt as if God did not care because their prayers were not answered the way they wanted it, or the time that they wanted it. An example that comes to mind, I think, is in Mark, and I forget what chapter, maybe four, the story of uh, the disciples and Jesus crossing this, the river in a boat, and Jesus had a pillow. <laughs> Jesus brought a pillow. And uh, <laughs> they're crossing this boat, and there's a storm, and these experienced fishermen are getting nervous, and they're scared, and they cry out to Jesus, and Jesus is God, and you're talking to God. It's kind of like you're praying to Jesus. Jesus, Lord, do you not care what? that will perish. And they found Jesus asleep. And how many times when you and I pray for an extended period of time, praying and fasting, we think that God is sleeping. And we think that God doesn't care. 
And so we question God's character and say, God, because you're not answering my prayer the way I want it and the time that we want it, Master, do you not care for us? They questioned if Jesus cared about their safety and their well-being. I think it is natural for, uh, natural for us. Human nature tends to doubt and question God sometimes when things don't even happen our way. I think it was John the Baptist himself also got discouraged when he was in prison because he called out Herod and Herodias. He was in prison, and Jesus referred to John the Baptist is, as the greatest prophet that ever lived. And even John the Baptist, you know, he was, um, he was wondering, like, is this really the one? And Jesus sent the disciples and said, go tell John all the miracles that are happening, not to be discouraged. It's within our human nature that when things don't happen the way that we want it, at the time that we want it, we get discouraged. And we probably question the character of God. Does God care about me? Why is God taking so long to perform a miracle? Why is God taking so long to, to pull through in my life? Why is it taking God a while? Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God doesn't hear my prayers. Well, Daniel was fasting and praying for three whole weeks. And you can imagine, it's, it's hard enough to just pray for something. But if you're going, not just praying, but you're not eating for three weeks, imagine what the toll on your emotions now, I don't know what was going through Daniel's mind, but God eventually did answer Daniel's prayer. He sent an angel, and I, I, I want us to take a note, take it uh, to, to notice. I don't know if it's on my PowerPoint here. Um, okay, yeah, it is on my PowerPoint. Verse 10, notice this. God does eventually answer his prayer, and notice what it says in verse 10. What's that word? Suddenly. What does it suddenly mean? Like quickly, right? Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And I want you guys to notice this. And he said to me, what are the, what are the first five words? Oh, Daniel, man, greatly beloved. Could it be that the angel, the very first thing before he answers the prayer or before he gives Daniel what he's looking for, he has to give Daniel some reassurance. That word, oh, Daniel, is more like a compassionate, kind of like, oh, brother, oh, sister. It's kind of like, I'm not condemning you. It's more like I'm showing compassion in my speech. Oh, Daniel. And not just beloved, greatly beloved. You see, when our prayers don't get answered the way that we want it and the time that we want it, there is a tendency to doubt that God cares about me. Maybe God doesn't care. He's not healing my relative. Maybe God doesn't care. He's not answering my prayer. Maybe God doesn't care about me because he's not answering my prayer. And the first thing God does through his angel is he comforts Daniel and says, Oh, Daniel, you are greatly beloved. You are loved by God. So just because your prayers don't happen the way you want it and the time that you don't want it, God still loves you and calls you greatly beloved. There are other things happening behind the scenes that we don't understand, but you are beloved by God. Oh, Daniel, man, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand up upright, for I have been sent to you. And while he stood there, uh, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, verse 12, do not fear, Daniel. Now notice this part, for from when? The very first day. You see, a lot of times we think, you know, maybe if I pray and fast, 
this will convince God to listen to me. <laughs> Maybe if I pray and fast, I could be holy and righteous enough that God would consider my prayer. But what it's saying here is that on the very first day, for how long did he fast for? For three weeks or 21 days. But on day one, his prayer was heard. It says, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. The very first day that you start praying for your loved ones, the very first day you pray for someone's salvation, the very first day that you pray for something that's bothering you, God hears it that very first day. Even before you utter it, he already knows what you have to say. But, and there's that word but, verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for how long? 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So, um, so something happened, and that's the reason why this prayer got delayed. Well, something we have to understand is this concept here, known as the, <laughs> the Great Controversy. Now, we're all familiar with this book, uh, The Great Controversy, between Christ and Satan. There is a war in heaven, and perhaps behind the scenes, invisible to our eyes, things are happening that we cannot see or comprehend until Jesus comes. And that are probably, and at least in this example, have delayed um, some things from happening. So let's look at another example here. Uh, I don't know if you could see that picture there or what it depicts, but this is a picture of Job. And this is an excellent story or illustration of the great controversy. Because Job was a righteous man who did what was right, he hated evil. He feared God. He was an upright man of God, was he not? He was rich. He had a lot of children. He even had some friends. And um, one day, God was having some kind of meeting, like a GYC or something was happening in heaven, right? Something was happening in heaven. And there was this meeting. The Bible tells us that all the, uh, you know, these representatives, probably from unfallen worlds, they're all coming to this GYC event to like socialize and to worship God and to fellowship. And something happens in the story of Job. What happens? Who shows up to this meeting? Satan appears in this meeting and then God asks him, what are you doing here? Now, had Adam and Eve never sinned, probably they would be, they would have probably been at that meeting. But because they had sinned, they kind of lost the pink slip and they, to Satan. And so now Satan is there at this meeting and God says, what are you doing here? And if you notice the language in the book of Job, he says something along the lines of, I've been going to and fro, walking up and down the earth. And what's really interesting is, is that when you're walking up and down something, it sort of shows domination. You own that land. If I'm walking around my house, it's because I'm not trespassing. This is my property. I own it. In fact, when you read throughout other parts of the Bible, when you walk on something, it kind of shows like you have victory over it. Uh, for example, um, in the new earth, it says that the wicked will be like ashes under your feet. It means to say like, you know, the, the, the meek will inherit the new earth. They, they now own the new earth, if you, if you think about it that way. Or another time in, uh, it says, uh, I'll make your enemies a footstool, you know, at your feet, showing like there's some kind of like dominion in a sense. And this might be a stretch. But we know that water in the Bible represents, you know, people and prophecy, but it also represents the grave, such as um, the flood, um, the Red Sea closing, baptism. And 
I don't know if this is a stretch or not. I'm still thinking about it. But when I saw Jesus in the Bible walking on water, it kind of demonstrates that he has victory over the grave. There's nothing to fear because Christ is victorious. He's walking on it. He has dominion over it. And so when Satan says, you know, I've been walking up and down the earth, what he's really saying to God is, look, I'm winning the great controversy. Nobody on earth fears you. Like I said, nobody respects you. And what's interesting is that it wasn't Satan. It was God who says, well, wait a minute. Have you considered my servant Job? And you might think to yourself, like, why did God do that? <laughs> why did he do that? But it's a privilege and an honor if you think about it, that God had so much confidence and faith in his servant Job. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, well, Bible says in 1 John that God is love. And it says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love, what does love do? Love believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. But the first one, love believes all things. God had faith in his servant Job to go through that trial. And so in other words, it was an honor that he was representing God. And could it be that sometimes maybe like Job, God says, I trust my sons and my daughters here at Avent Hope or those in Audioverse that they can represent me. They can handle, you know, uh, in the nursing field, sometimes we wonder like if we have a hard list, like does a charge nurse hate me or do they trust me <laughs> that they gave me these uh, difficult patients. But a lot of times because they trust you, right? They trust you because you're a more seasoned nurse. And so God trusted him. And so perhaps when we go through trials, God trusts us. And it's ironic because Job is thinking, you know, if only there's a book written about me. Job did not have the book of Job to refer to. You know, when we have troubles in life, we often go to the book of Job. Like, okay, if Job went through it, I can go through it too by God's grace. He didn't have this book. He simply had to trust God even without the book of Job. He was the book of Job. And so there is a great controversy and sometimes things are happening behind the scenes, like in Job's story and in Daniel's story. Moving on. These are some familiar texts, but I love them. I love them so much. The Bible says, or the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us how to, teach us how to pray. <laughs> and so Jesus says, okay, I will teach you how to pray. And the very first things he tells them, is when you pray, say, our Father, our Father in heaven. You know what's really powerful about this idea of a father is that Jesus is depicting to us that God is not this distant, you know, righteous being that's so far away and who cannot relate to us, but God is a loving Father who is close to us and has compassion on us. He says, when you refer to God, don't pray to him like the pagans do who repeat themselves thinking that they're, by repeating themselves, this will somehow get God's attention. Jesus says, the Father already knows what you need even before you ask. So when you pray, you got to say our Father because he is your Father. He says also, how many of you fathers will give your son a stone when he asks for bread or a serpent when he asks for, for fish? He says, you wouldn't do that. How much more your Father in heaven? And so God is our loving Father. And when I think about my dad, my dad was always providing the best. He wasn't perfect, but he loved his children. And he always provided what was best for us. So when you pray, pray our Father. Now, here's another thing. 
Um, how many of you guys like to go stargazing? Uh, sometimes we go to Joshua Tree. Uh, I think last year we had like a wilderness wanderings event near Joshua Tree, and that was powerful, powerful. And uh, I was given the part to recite uh, the voice in the wilderness. I was literally the voice in the wilderness because I was reciting. <laughs> I was getting nervous because like, oh man, tomorrow I have to recite the whole book of or chapter or chapter. And so I was like at one in the morning, just the voice in the wilderness at one in the morning, trying to memorize these verses. But there, we were there in Joshua Tree and uh, you could see the stars. And I watched a science video on YouTube and I forgot the figure. But how many of us like going to the beach? Yes. Well, we know the beaches in California are very cold, but nevertheless, we have some nice beaches or Big Sur or um, some beaches in uh, um, San Diego or Florida. I went to that a couple of times and it's absolutely beautiful. We slept on the beach, like on the sand, the full moon, beautiful. Hawaii, Philippines, all these beaches have something in common. Water, sand. <laughs> you always get sand in your shoes. And um, how much sand do you think is in the world? <laughs> a lot of sand, right? A lot. Well, scientists say, and I forget the number, they say that, I think it was 10 times. For all the grains of sand on this earth, uh, there's 10 times as many stars. Or it might be more than that, but there's at least 10 times more. And you think about how huge the universe is. And you're just looking at that, and if you're in Loma Linda, you think you see a star, but it's just a helicopter or it's just it's a satellite. <laughs> no, you gotta go to you gotta go somewhere else. But you see these stars, and it's just so amazing. With the naked eye, you only see the Milky Way galaxy, but there are billions of galaxies. And you think, well, if you're an atheist and you don't believe in God, you're like, if I die, then who cares, right? But there is a God. And not only is there a God with all those billions of stars and billions of people, but you matter to God. And notice this here. Psalm 147, verse 4. He counts the number of the stars, and he calls them all by name. And you might think, well, that's cute. That's very poetic. Put that in my refrigerator. He counts the stars. That's nice. But no, no, no. I think God literally did count the stars and name them, because when you think about it, when you think about it, Names in the Bible are very intimate. Your name was Abram, you shall be Abraham. You were Sarah, you now shall be Sarah. Um, you were um, well, Jacob, now you are Israel. These names are, they're personal. And so if it's personal, that means that it's not insignificant. If God takes the time to number the stars, but not just number them, he gives them all a name, all those trillions of stars, each one is significant to God. Mean to say that God is very detailed. Nothing slips by God. Things that you think are not that important are important to God. Jesus said a good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. You know, if you have pets, you would probably lay down your life for your dog or your cat, right? <laughs> it's, it's biblical. A good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. A good shepherd can tell the difference between his sheep. You know, if you guys have friends that are twins or triplets, I've had many times in my life I had friends that are tri twins and triplets. When you first meet them, you cannot tell the difference. They look exactly alike and they even dress alike. And, uh, but when you spend time, you're like, oh, you know, you have different mannerisms. Your voice is a little bit different. You, um, you, 
you just pick up on those things. And a good shepherd, you might see like hundreds of sheep, but a good shepherd could differentiate his sheep. You might feel like, well, I'm just one in billions, but God knows you by name. He knows the stars by name. He knows you by name. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. And you might think, well, big deal. Like, why, why does God even care about the numbers of hair on my head? There is a point here. And the point is this. God cares about little things in your life. Now, remember that quote we shared earlier? When you talk to God, talk to him like a friend. Okay. When you talk to your friends, do you only talk about big stuff? Like, hey, I haven't seen you in 10 years, but I'm getting married this weekend. Yeah, right? No, like you don't, when, when you have friends and it, you have like group chats of your friends, you guys talk about everything, the dumbest things, everything. <laughs> things that don't even matter, like what are you eating today? What's a good restaurant? You don't even use um, Yelp. You just ask your friends, like, what, where, where should I go? What should I do? What are you doing right now? I'm bored. That's what friends do. You don't just keep up with big things like big celebrations or, you know, bad tra traumatic events. But a good friend will talk to you on a regular basis. Even if there's nothing to do, you just go to the house and just sit around and do nothing. Because that's what friends do. We, we, we pay attention to little details. When we talk to God, we are to talk to God not just, not just when we celebrate, not just when there's a tragedy, but we should pray without ceasing, talking to God about everything that concerns the mind. And so I'm practicing that by faith. When I get on my knees, sometimes I don't feel like praying, but I say, Lord, I'm going to claim the promises. You know, I'm going to talk to you like one of my friends. And I just tell God everything, big and little things. Tell him everything. Why? Because God does not get bored. He he he, while he's numbering my hairs, I'll talk to him. And so uh, he's, he doesn't get bored of us. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, you don't come to somebody that doesn't care about you. And you don't come to somebody who you don't feel is invested in you. You know, I've said it before. I'll say it again. In the medical field, patients and families don't care how much you know until they first know that you care. And so why would you talk to somebody unless you first know that they care about you? You can come to God knowing that he cares about you, even with the little details. I like this picture, and I love this quote, and we're going to go through it because I love it. I even claim this whenever I'm praying. You know, sometimes I don't feel like praying, honestly, and I, sometimes I feel like really messed up or whatever the case is. Like I just have no motivation to pray. Sister White says, when you feel destitute of the spirit, that's when you should be praying. When you don't feel like praying is when you should be praying. And so sometimes I'm like, man, like I really don't feel like praying, Lord. Like, honestly, we're talking like friends. I don't feel like praying, but I'm going to pray anyway, because why? Keep your wants, your joys, your sorrows, your cares, your fears before God. You cannot do what? He's counting your hairs, right? You cannot burden him. You cannot weary him. He who does what? He's numbering your hairs on your head is not indifferent to the wants of his children. The Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. His heart of love is touched by our sorrows, even by what? Just by uttering them. You may not even be eloquent in prayer. Sometimes we want to pray like in the King James, very poetic, like our father in heaven. Like you, we want to sound impressive. You don't have to impress God. You just utter your prayers to God. He understands. 
Take to him everything that perplexes the mind. Notice this. Nothing is what? Too great for him to bear. For he holds up worlds. All those stars, he holds them up. He rules over all the affairs of the universe. And there's nothing in any way that concerns our peace that is too small for him to notice. But it gets better. I like the next part. There is no what? Chapter in our experience too dark for him to read. Did you know that the Bible says that God is the author and finisher of your faith? It's kind of like God's like writing a book of your life in a sense, kind of like Job. Job had dark chapters, did he not? But the, it wasn't always dark chapters. Eventually, there were some good chapters. You might be going through a phase in your life and your Christian experience where you are in a dark chapter and you feel tempted to give up. But you got to remember that there's no dark, there's no chapter that's too dark for God to read. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. God did not bring you so far out just for you to fail and to quit. He who began a good work is faithful to complete it. Amen. And so whatever your dark chapter is, maybe it's divorce, maybe it's bankruptcy, maybe it's bad relationships, maybe it's failing a class or failing a program. Whatever your dark chapter is, there's nothing too dark for God. There's no perplexity too difficult for him to unravel. No calamity can befall the least of his children. No anxiety harass his soul. No joy cheer, no sincere prayer escape the lips of which our heavenly father is unobservant or in which he makes no immediate interest. He heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. The relations between God and each soul are as distinct. Now you heard this many times, but it's right here. The relations between God and each soul are as distinct and full as though there were no, not another soul upon the earth to share his watch care not another soul for whom he gave his beloved son. In other words, if you were the only sinner, he would have died for you. If you were the only one sheep that wandered off, he would have left the other 99 to come just for you. Powerful, powerful stuff. And so when I think about that, I think about how much God loves us. And so our prayer in the morning should be, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Hearken to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice thou shalt hear in the morning. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. And so um, usually um, uh, I would end my message here, but I want to add some few things. I still have some time, so I could do it. <laughs> so my friends were telling me like, oh, we're going to brace ourselves because we know what illustrations are coming. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of participating in this event called an Ironman in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, it was supposed to be a, a, like a reunion because I went to Southern Adventist University for my nursing program. And uh, even at Southern, for the longest time, my friends are like, we got to do an Ironman here in Tennessee because every time we go to Chattanooga, there's something happening. <laughs> and so we, we prepped ourselves and it took us this long, but we, we, we did it. Uh, some of us did it at least. And um, I can tell you this, friend, that um, there are many object lessons that you will learn when you participate in a race like this. It's in total, it's 144.6 miles. Um, you have to swim about two and a half miles, bike 116 miles, and run a full marathon. And um, let me tell you this, that uh, you're not allowed to have music. <laughs> and so you have a lot of time to think and a lot of time to pray. <laughs> and... Um, if I could just give you a quick summary, I was the last one out of the water, and that was my biggest obstacle. And when I made it through that, I was like, praise the Lord. And all the, uh, 
all the lifeguards and their kayaks were following me and they're all like, yeah, he got out of the water. <laughs> and, and, then, and on the land, they had like music playing in the PA. They're like, yeah, come out of the water. And it's a current, it's the river. So I'm like, I'm trying. I can't <laughs> because the currents pushed me away. And, but I made it out by God's grace. My legs got like jello. And as I was running to transition, uh, like this guy's running with me. He's like, hey, with a camera, like, hey, so how was the, how was the swim and how was the water? I'm like, oh, it's good. It was good. Um, and when I got on my bike, it was the only bike there because everyone was, was already gone. <laughs> uh, but by God's grace, I made up some time. I was able to pass up, uh, uh, make up some time and all that. And I, I thought to myself, this is good. You know, I got through the, 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 the swim and um, I doing really good in the bike. Uh, but by the time it came to the run, that's when a time of trouble kicked in. And uh, that's when I went through my time of trouble and a lot of object lessons came to my head. And a lot of negative thoughts, actually, because um, um, <laughs> every time you uh, every mile, there's these kids with their Gatorade and their waters they're like, here, take my Gatorade. And, you know, they're so cute. And you're like, well, if you don't take it, they feel bad. So you have to take it. <laughs> And so they're giving you their Gatorade, give me water. And normally when I run here in Loma Linda, I sweat everything out. But because you're tired from the bike, you're going so slow, you're not sweating. Everything goes to your bladder. And then you have to stop. You have to go to the bathroom. And every time you go, their adrenaline stops because your body's like, oh, we're stopping now. And that's when the pain comes in. And let me tell you this. Uh, <laughs> when I uh, was in pain and it started getting dark, I'm thinking, man, like I'm going slower. I'm in so much pain. Everything hurts. And the way they did it is uh, it's two half marathons. It's a loop, two, two loops. And I'm thinking, well, you know what? I'll be okay because I'm running with all these people. We're all going to pass together. I mean, we're not all going to fail. And I'm like, praise the Lord. We're all, and you can hear them all. Oh, it's like, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. I'm like, yes, we're going to make it. Then I overhear them saying, so you're your second lap, right? I'm like, yeah. I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm on my first lap. <laughs> And I got very discouraged and uh, the finish line and the part where you do the second lap are like close to each other. So as I'm approaching that, that, that part, people are like, put your head up. They're like, be happy. They're like, you're almost done. Start running. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you have no idea. <laughs> I'm not even halfway done with this. And I was in a very dark place. And I remember these things I've been, I've been reading. Talk to God like a friend because you have no friends to talk to when you're out there. Right. So, so uh, I mean, every now and then I would see my friends who were volunteering and my friends would find me in the GPS. But other than that, you really, it's just you and God. And I said, Lord, I spent too much money for this race. <laughs> just really, it added up a lot. And uh, I said, Lord, I put too many hours into this race. And I told too many people, Lord, I should not have told anybody. <laughs> I told the Lord, like, Lord, if I don't get through this race, I'm going to sell my bike. It's the end of the triathlon stuff. I'm not going to tell anybody. We'll never speak about it again. I, I told the Lord, I said, but, but if you're willing, Lord, you could give me grace. And he gave me grace. And um, uh, I was able to uh, muster up some energy. Um, they give you 16 and a half hours to finish the race. I did it in 16 hours and four minutes. Started at eight in the morning and finished past midnight. And um, you don't even want to eat when you're done. You just want to lay down and just collapse. <laughs> uh, they won't even let you do that because they want to take pictures. But, uh, uh, but I remember as I was coming towards the halfway point of my marathon, I was so discouraged 
And the friends I was doing it with, I thought they already crossed the finish line a, a long time ago. So I thought, I'm here by myself in the dark. I don't know anybody here. And I feel like giving up. That's what I really felt. My friend, my friend found me on his GPS because he tracked us. He saw me. He's like, Genesis, don't you dare give up. He said, you're going to be an Iron Man. Now, if he had been some regular guy, I'd be like, oh, I don't know if you know what you're talking about. <laughs> but the reason why there was validity in what he said is because last year he became an Ironman. And because he ran the same course that I ran and he knew and could sympathize with my struggle, the fact that he believed in me and said, you can do this. I went through the same thing as you keep going, motivated me to keep going. And it's amazing, the mind is that the mind really limits you. But if you could unlock your mind, your body will just will follow. <laughs> and so I found the strength to actually finish the race and to get it done. But the reason why I bring this up is not just to talk about the Ironman or because I have time left. But the reason why I bring this up is because there is a greater race. And the Bible says that there is a bigger race and we're not really competing for a trophy or for a medal. There is a, a, a better thing to compete for. We're going for a heavenly crown, right? And we're winning souls. And it's, it's much, much better. And so the Bible's telling us that God, instead of my friend, God is the one who's encouraging us. The Bible says that God is love and God believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I don't know where you're at in your walk with God. Maybe some of you felt like me. You're in so much pain. And you're thinking to yourself, what is this whole Christian experience? I spent so much time and effort giving Bible studies, praying, fasting all these years. And now I feel like I'm in a dark place all by myself. There might be some of you here today or those listening to Audioverse who are on the verge of quitting on your faith, even though you come so far in your faith. And you're thinking to yourself, what is the point of going on? But Jesus comes and says, don't you dare quit. You're going to finish this race. And instead of, and you know, what's really cool about the Ironman is that, you know, uh, when you, the whole time you're in pain, like you're limping, like, oh man, this is, this is like, why do I pay? Why do I pay all this money to suffer? But when you finally get to the finish line, you hear music, celebration, everybody's clapping and you hear the words, you're an Ironman. That's great. Well, you know, what's even greater. You get to heaven and there's music, and there's angels and there's a celebration and there's not a man saying you're, you're an Iron Man, but you have Jesus who says, well, well done, good and faithful servant. What's amazing is that it doesn't matter how much you struggle in the race or in the preparation of the race. What matters is that you finish. It doesn't matter that you're struggling as a Christian and you, you made a lot of mistakes. What matters is that you finish. And if you finish, it doesn't matter He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servants. My encouragement to each and every one of us here today is not to give up. Don't give up. Keep on going. When you feel so discouraged, like you want to just quit the race, you want to quit running, you want to quit moving forward, you got to talk to God and say, Lord, let's just be honest. We're friends, right? This is what I'm going through. This is what I'm struggling with. And God will be with you. The Bible says that he is with you. He believes in you. He hopes in you. And he will endure with you. He never fails. 
And so I want to encourage us, brothers and sisters, that from this day forward, wherever you are at spiritually, don't give up, get up, talk to God, and he'll get you through. Amen. Let's pray. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this message of prayer and talking to you. We can come to you, Father, knowing that you have pity on us and compassion on us. We can come to you in good times and bad times and everything in between. We could talk to you like a friend. Father, there might be some of us here today or those listening who are very discouraged. We're in a dark place. We feel like we're not making any progress. We feel like we've just wasted it. But Father, Jesus has gone before us. He's run this race ahead of us. And he knows what we're going through. And you remind us, Lord, that you are with us and you believe in us and you will endure with us. Go with us, Father, from this day forward, every step. Help us not to quit, but to look to the prize, look to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.